episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 7, Episode 11, which is titled Rock, Paper, Scissors. The episode aired on January 11th, 2001. Lauren was going that week 21 years ago. Math is hard. I know, right? Um... Former Chicago Bulls forward Michael Jordan, now playing for the Washington Wizards, becomes the only becomes only the fourth player in NBA history to have 30,000 career points. Ironically, the milestone was achieved while playing against his former team. I appreciate. Apple, uh, oh. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. But like, I, I we rewatched uh, the Last Dance recently, mm-hmm. uh, which if you haven't watched it, even if you're not a sports fan, watch it. It's one okay. of the best documentaries. Like, can confirm. Don't care uh, about basketball at all, and it was excellent. But I appreciate that documentary's commitment to the bit of just not acknowledging the fact that he came back and played for the Wizards at all. Like, mm-hmm. it just completely is like, nope, not going to talk about that. That never happened. Just Because he didn't do well at all on the Wizards. Uh, actually, no, he actually did very well. It was the rest of the team that sucked big dog Fair, shit. Okay. Like, the, the, the Wizards were just a really, really bad team in that uh, at that time. But Jordan was actually doing amazing things coming back to be as old as he was. He scored, like, 50, over 50 points once. He scored over 40 points multiple times uh, and played most of the game. Like, it wasn't like he was, like, today. Like, it's pretty common today for, for guys to, like, play one game and then take two off or play two and take one off. Like, they, like, manage their uh, games over the course yeah, of the season. injuries and stuff like that. They're more yeah. cognizant of that. Jordan played almost every night, and he was over 40. And, like, it was a pretty well, remarkable thing to be doing. only good player (laughs) true no absolutely but i mean it's just like it it was it's something i don't think you'll ever see again somebody of that age and of that ability level playing even lebron we're seeing now is starting to break down a little bit like jordan was still remarkably durable and remarkably consistent uh didn't didn't the lakers suck when lebron came to them uh, when he showed up to them, yes, they they did win a championship with him. So he, he technically has Jordan there where he went to a team late in his career and did win a championship, unlike Jordan, who didn't even make the playoffs with the Wizards. So Ooh. something oh, no, something, something newsworthy. Are, 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 yeah. are we back? Are we back? Okay. Um, <laughs> Apple announces a little program called iTunes, aiming to provide a convenient way for Mac users to organize their digital music. And it was never heard from again. I, my... Uh, library in high school was meticulous. Ugh. It's it mine now. Nobody look at it. It's shameful. <laughs> but back back when I was fully in the ecosystem with a MacBook and an and an iPod and everything, it was like chef's please, kiss, pristine. Please don't tell anyone how I live. Yeah, now it's it's <laughs> awful. The only reason I've opened iTunes is to uh, import my Animal Crossing soundtrack onto my phone. That is it. Yeah, from from what I understand, it's largely redundant at this point. It's, yeah, well, I mean, Apple Music, I guess, has taken over as kind of yeah. the streaming face of it. And so, like, me being the dinosaur that I am, who also doesn't listen to that much music, I still have an iTunes library and still mm-hmm. use it pretty regularly. Well, yeah. But yeah, mine. Jen has, like, she uses Apple Music, and that's pretty much all she uses. I, I would shift to Apple Music if it was cost efficient right now, um, just because I'm. I'm hooked on on streaming for stuff at this point with how infrequently I've been listening to music these days or you know like how how janky my music taste is and how unpredictable it's kind of like you having your Spotify playlist like I never quite know what I'm gonna want to listen to but I don't want to necessarily have to maintain a library the way 
but I can just yell at Alexa to shuffle that playlist. And... I love that playlist. But anyway, so iTunes has has grown, and I'm curious what our listeners have for their uh, music maintenance situations. But moving on, uh, at the 27th Annual People's Choice Awards, ER wins the award for Best TV Drama, beating The West Wing and Law & Order. Take that, Dick Wolf and Aaron Sorkin. Lizzie, you, you set me up for failure here. <sighs> I got it. Okay. Wilson! <laughs> the movie, a.k.a. Castaway, holds on for its third and final box office victory. That was, was very good. Was that a good delivery? That was very good. Okay, mm-hmm. great. This is what happens when we record at 11 a.m. instead of 7 yeah. p.m. Not quite desperate enough, That's but, fine. Like, but still pretty good. <laughs> it's, it, it's a peppy, peppy castaway. And Independent <laughs> Women by Destiny's Child is the number one yet again. Number one song. I accidentally award. We, I figured context clues they would have figured yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, also, yeah, did yeah, I just yeah. like blank or did we actually say hello and hey? I don't even know if you said Daniel and Warren. <laughs> oh, yes, we did. We did. Okay, did wow. You? That definitely okay. happened and two thirds of us apparently forgot. So, okay, wow. great. Okay. We're doing great. Okay, cool. Good again, morning. Again, recording at 11 in the morning. This is much I different than know. our usual schedule. I was thinking so hard about like how I was going to do it. And then I'm like, I don't remember doing it at all. Wow. Okay, great. great. Cool, cool, All right. Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One Where They're (laughs) Up All Night. At 8.30, Cursed with the episode And Then They Bought a Motorcycle with a Race Car. I I went and checked. I went and checked. We have seven episodes of Cursed left. Thank God. And I don't even know if they're all on Thursdays, but we have seven episodes of Cursed left. We're almost done with this fucking show. Uh, at 9 p.m., Will and Grace with the episode Swimming Pools, Movie Stars. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode The Gift Piggy. <laughs> I know. Sorry. <laughs> I know. This week's episode had 28.3 million viewers tuning in, directed by Jonathan Kaplan doing his 17th out of 40. Uh, previous ones of his from this season include The Greatest of Gifts, The Visit, and Homecoming. And written by Dee Johnson doing just her second out of 19. And her previous one from this season was Benton Backwards. And uh, no Chen this week as Ming-Na Wen continues her uh, maternity leave tour. Both in canon and... <laughs> and and in real life. Yes. All right. Our previously on this week is brought to us by Mark and Cleo and Benton are in bed and awoken by the phone by my least favorite storyline. Uh, Kanisha is on the phone yelling. Apparently she got into the fight with someone at the halfway house so she took off and cleo understandably says you're you're never tibetan you're never gonna get rid of her Mm. oof this is a whole thing this episode um and then we switch over to lizzie is awake and staring into the void downstairs when we see mark tiptoeing down the stairs in the background and she begs him to go back to sleep turns out she hasn't slept at all last night uh, there was an urgent meeting called by Patterson's lawyers regarding her malpractice suit. Cool. And we apparently need to uh, also have a tracker for Mark's head scar because mm-hmm. I, I'm told that that I don't really remember specifics of it, but I'm told that it disappears uh, rather quickly. So we should uh, you know, they make keep track of that. that. So who knows? Not not miracle creams though. I like know, they, I make know, it I make know. it less uh, prominent, but it's still gonna be there. You still got your skull cut open. <laughs> well, uh, Ben picks up Kanisha in a quote unquote bad neighborhood. So they, I don't think they actually say where it specifically is, but anyway, 
they they mention this the intersection and Cleo's like, oh, this is a that's a that's a bad place or something. Like, yeah, yeah, especially in the middle of the night. Yep. Uh, guy shoots out the back window as Kanisha gets into the car, yelling, "You owe me, girl." I'm assuming a some sort of drug dr- pimp or drug dealer or something. I don't know. Based based Who on a, a a scene later in the episode, I'm gonna guess something uh, sexual was involved there. Yeah. Yeah. Very very fair. Yeah. And of course, as they're driving away, she just immediately immediately just turns on the radio as just jamming out to the tunes like nothing happened. Like she just didn't just get almost shot to death. Like because that's clearly what was going to be happening within ten seconds. Yeah, I want to I want to say immediately ten seconds, if that. Yeah. And, but and there's also as like as jarring as that is as an audience to to see and and to watch though it is also there there is something sort of like kind of chilling and upsetting about that mm-hmm. of that this is such a like commonplace oh. thing for her in her life that like yeah. she shrugs it off relatively quickly yeah. like whereas yeah, anybody ben else lo- would be traumatized for years yeah because Benton looks over at her like horrified yeah like what the fuck girl like I, I do want to point out Daniel you bring up an excellent point well yes we are all incredibly irritated by Kanisha this episode there are a lot of things that illustrate that she is more of a product of her environment mm-hmm. and just like yeah it's a lot and it's a lot but we also understand that yeah she didn't exactly have the most stable upbringing and everything else between the gang involvement and her mom's drug use so oh. that being said she is not going on my shitty kids list this season because she has extenuating circumstances. Yeah. And it's a so. it's something we talked about a little bit off mic recently of like it the I think the thing that makes this storyline so frustrating is that it does have potential. Mm-hmm. It's just executed really bizarrely and poorly. And yeah. so like it just I, I I feel like under different circumstances which we can get into as we go along in the episode because I have thoughts on it as we get into later in the episode. Like I think if you'd have done this storyline just a little differently, I think you could... It's like one or two steps to the left or right of being a, a really good, really memorable storyline. But it's the execution is where it falls apart. Yep. we Definitely, definitely. Um, but then we go over to Luca and Abby coming into work, and they're talking about getting to sleep in at her place versus early room service at Luca's hotel room. And Abby's getting a little tired of the room service guy seeing her there every morning when they get breakfast. And Abby asks Carter if he has told Weaver yet, and he's putting it off clearly, saying he's going to wait until after his mid-year review today, his evaluation. And she says, you're procrastinating, to which Carter responds, you're nagging. And Abby rightfully says, no, I'm being your sponsor. Like, I'm doing exactly what you asked me to do, you little shit. So, this (laughs) continues. Great, cool. Yeah, Carter's doing great. Everything's fine. Uh, we see Cleo running Carrie down on the board, and uh, Carrie, we overhear Carrie telling Carter that his review will be later. And I do like that Carter's conditioned response <laughs> there, where he's, your review's at 11 a.m. Yes, ma'am. Don't be late. No, ma'am. <laughs> he's clearly been around the, the, the block enough times with Weaver that he knows how uh, to address her. Oh, and then we get one of, in a, again, in a Sally Fieldless world, one of the best uh, guest storylines uh, in the entire run of the show, starting right here. Uh, when the bishop is brought in after a fall, or I should say a bishop. He's not the bishop to us at this point yet. He's just a holy man, not the he's holy always, man. He's always the bishop to me. Yeah. 
Uh, and, That's his uh, Christian name is the Bishop. Yes, yes, his Christian name is the Bishop. Uh, so we're getting two new characters here. Uh, one way less significant than the other. The less significant of the two is uh, <laughs> appropriately named Joe just joe and that's uh the bishop's little companion here who kind of is there to just provide light exposition uh, and he's played his by assistant yeah he's his, his assistant holy man uh, and he's played by actor marcelo tubert and he appears in stuff like jane the virgin gi joe retaliation and star trek next generation uh, 172 credits to his name so clearly he's very good at providing light exposition and keeps getting called back to do it in multiple shows uh, and he is making his first of three appearances here as Joe uh, but the far far more significant appearance here is the bishop himself James Cromwell uh, who appears in stuff like LA Confidential, The Green Mile and Star Trek First Contact uh, 192 credits to his name I believe that makes him the high watermark person for this episode uh, and he is making his first of four appearances, and I love him so much. I do too, but um, I struggle with James Cromwell only because my first big exposure to him was his just perfect, horrifying acting in season two of American Horror Story. He is so good mm. at being such a creep in that season that just. Ugh. But I yeah. love James Cromwell. No, yeah. He's he's another person who could read me the phone book, and I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. See, I know him best from. The seminal TNT dad movie <laughs> classic Space Cowboys. Oh, now streaming okay. on HBO Max. Sure, sure. Interested. Which I finally watched, and it's delightful. Is that the one that uh, features a very, very, very blink and you miss it uh, first appearance of uh, Don Draper in anything? Like maybe. I know John Hamm has a like blink and you miss it appearance in a like dad space movie in the nineties. And I just can't remember if it's uh, this one or a different one, but I'm like ninety percent sure that it's he plays like like a, a test pilot or something. Like he's like a when they're in training, like he you something see him like you see him in the background for like two seconds. I and vaguely it's, remember what you're talking yep, about. It's Space Cowboys, Young nice. Pilot Number Two. Yeah. There you go. And Star Trek: First Contact, for my money, my the best star of the Star Trek movies. It's certainly the, it's certainly that. Far and away, it's far and away the best uh, TNG Star Trek movie, and it, it you could make the argument that it's in the conversation for the best Star Trek movie. Period. But um, yeah, I love James Cromwell. He's a fantastic actor and seems like a really cool dude. Like, is very active with like environmental causes. There was a recent story with him where he super glued his hand to a Starbucks counter uh, because they had some sort of like. There was some environmental thing going on with them. Like, they were using some supplier that was... Uh, I think it had to do with milk. Like, it was just, you know... But, but like, okay. dude's, dude's, like, pushing 80 and is still very actively involved in these causes and stuff. So, it's like, you know, I, I, I love somebody like that who is, you know, sticks with it. Like, keeps... Love somebody who commits to the bit, especially when that bit is environmental conservation. Benton is on the phone trying to get his rear window fixed, and Kanisha starts complaining about the lady who runs the halfway house is a, in her words, a bitch. Um, Benton tells her she needs to start respecting people, and ugh, she just starts to come on to him. And Benton, thank God, is just like, what the fuck are you doing, base? <laughs> like, what in God's name could you... Do you could you possibly think is gonna happen? Oh God! 
it's like so ups it's upsetting on like every level like it's it's upsetting on just like you know as a viewer it just like gives you the like Bzz. and then it but it's also like you think about the larger implications of, it, of like this is a child like this is you know like uh and and i don't know why but like for some and they they took it to another so like we we talked a lot off mic too about how this is sort of a little bit of a rehash of the charlie storyline the mm-hmm. the kirsten dunn storyline and she also had this element in her storyline as well and for some reason i don't remember us talking about it at the time of having the same kinds of like heebie-jeebie and it, it took until they escalated it even further to where she got beat up doing it and then it became like real and it became like and i don't know what the like psychological difference is of why it's so much easier for our brains to interpret a child or a person of color being subjected to this than it was for a white girl like a white girl it was like i don't buy this like it doesn't like it didn't like it didn't like track in our minds until we saw the consequences of it and until we saw her get hurt Whereas with this, it's like we just immediately accept it and we're like, oh, yeah, that's gross. Why would we do that? Like, why would we – why would you subject a child to these things? I don't know. It's weird, right? Like, it's weird how these two storylines – I think also lines... Kirsten Dunst's character was yo- – I think Charlie was younger. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're both around the same age. But yes, I think you're right. I think Charlie was portrayed as being, like, 14. And, and Kanisha, I would say, is probably closer to 16. I, I but... think the other difference is um, – and, like, this isn't necessarily a heebie-jeebie thing, but – when we meet Charlie, it is explicitly stated like she is unfortunately working the streets and like that's just part of her character brought into it. With Kanisha, we're met we meet her in this moment of sheer emotion and violence with Jesse's death. We only know about, you know, the basic gang involvement, and so then all of a sudden when we realize of course this would be a survival mechanism for her and she and she starts coming on to Benton here it's a little bit more of a blindside because mm. it wasn't a facet of her character that we were introduced to both are horrifying i want to sure. say that right now both are horrifying but it's just i think this catches us a little more off guard because this isn't like this isn't what we've known of her for the past couple episodes so when she all of a sudden is like yeah well if cleo wasn't in the picture and like she's clearly trying to find some way and this is so gross to say but in her mind trying to find some way to ingratiate herself to Mm -hmm. him and to make herself valuable like what does that say about the world she's grown up in and this is what she knows right yeah and good on Benton he's like uh no Uh, (laughs) immediate immediate like fuck no not in not in any realm of possibilities is gonna happen yeah Yeah. yeah so are are we good on this yes okay um, then we go over to Mr. Polarski, who is depressed and complaining of stomach pain. He clearly has some stuff going on as he talks about how he hasn't had intimate contact in a while. And Carrie opens his jacket to see what's going on with his stomach, and he has jammed some of the hospital scissors into his gut. Oh, Carrie immediately calls for, you know, examination to make sure nothing vital is injured, and we hear more about this a little later, not in a way we would expect. So this plays in only to some other characters dynamic a bit later. And let's go to our first audio clip here. Corday is talking with the lawyer and Romano. You didn't get my message, I take it. No, did something change? The meeting was canceled. We took a conference call instead and agreed on a settlement figure. Does that mean we've accepted guilt? It means the hospital's gonna take it in the shorts to the tune of 1.5 million. 
But our insurance will pay that. And so will we with sky-high premiums. It could easily have been much worse. Don't make it out like we're getting off cheap. She didn't pay a dime. There was a general recall on the endoscopic curettes that you used. I don't remember having any trouble with the curette. Nonetheless, there was a recall. We also signed a confidentiality agreement keeping the details of the suit private, so you can't speak to anyone about it. But there was nothing faulty with the equipment. Apparently there was. And the manufacturer has deeper pockets. <laughs> well, that's wrong. Look at it as a gift. We pay out the nose, and you get a little ding at the National Data Bank. How lucky is that? I hate the American legal system. Yeah. I do. So I, it's so messed up. <laughs> I do something about maybe it's just the delivery, but something about the phrase taken in the shorts is funny to me, though. I, I did. I did enjoy that phrasing. Maybe it's because we have talked to Paul McCrane. And oh, there it gentleman. is. Uh, yes, nothing will ever be the same again. We will never criticize Romano or <laughs> or oh, say anything never. bad no. about him ever, ever again. We are blinded forever. But yeah, so that's the end of that storyline. Yeah, that is right. well. There's, there's a little yeah, bit there's more. A little, there's a little. There is. There is a little bit more. Yeah. But here's your resolution as yeah. to what happened with the court stuff. I mean, I uh, we were gonna, that is. Thought we get more fun court court stuff with that. Oh, hey, it's that guy whose name I already forgot. Good yeah. job. That that is. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Zelko. Uh, but yeah, I cannot hope to pronounce that name. This uh, that's unfortunately though pretty realistic. I would say like that's you know a lot yeah. of that stuff does just just sort of settle and just sort of go away. And, uh, you know, from what we hear of the legal of the legal world. Yeah, it from, just from friends. It, it just enhances my um, argument, though, that they should have just done an entire episode like that should have been Lizzie's episode like that should have been. You know yeah. how you know how Doug has his episode and Mark has his episode like the There's those signature kind of like this is this person's episode that just should have been Lizzie's episode where we sh we should have gotten to see her go toe to toe with this uh you know, opposing lawyer for especially when they don't minutes. take place inside the ER. Yeah, exactly. Like that, or it could the hospital, have rather even could have been a really, really excellent uh, kind of twist on the usual formula. But still, a great episode. Just could have been. I like what we got though with that deposition, though. That's some. That's some of my favorite stuff of from Corday. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but we come out of that to uh, Malucci is at the desk talking to Anira about religion and asking her, well, so what religion do they practice in your country? And she's like, Dave, this is my country, <laughs> which this is a twofold uh, issue here. Number one, I'm this makes me wish that we get more insight into Anira as a character. Mm -hmm. Like Anira is unfortunately relegated to mostly background duty and that kind of sucks. Um, but the other thing is just like what a stark difference it is from where we were just a season ago with Malucci to where he is now. And like yeah. how much this character has really just fallen completely off the cliff. And is just like basically relegated to not even just comic relief, but just like cheap comic relief. Like it's just really like kind of disappointing. It's kind of like Doyle. Yes. Yeah. It's very Maggie Doyle syndrome. Like they went from being like, here's this fan interesting new shiny toy with all this potential for exploration. I mean, there's a there is absolutely, I think, an alternate timeline where you could have recreated, maybe not to the same degree and maybe not to the same effectiveness, but you could have recreated a lot of the same growth and development that you saw with a Doug Ross with Dave Malucci. Like you could have absolutely recreated that sort of dynamic over the course of, you know, two or three seasons. And for whatever reason, 
they just completely have let him just wither on the vine and die this season because when was the last time he did anything interesting? Like he's just been an asshole, you know, like he's anytime we do have, have reason to talk about him. It's because he's being a dickhead and getting his lights punched out by Benton. Uh, last episode, he rescued the Paul and uh, Dan from the. I'm just saying, yeah. not every not every single episode he's. No, I no, I know, but I'm saying, but that, but it it falls into two categories though. It's either like, uh, it's either he's being a dickhead or he's relatively inconsequential because you could have easily subbed out Dave for any of those fucking EMT you know rotation people, or you could have subbed him out for anybody. You know, it didn't have to be Dave in that situation. He didn't really bring anything to that that story so it's just and all that to say is just like it's just really kind of sad because we spent so much time last season talking about how surprised we were and how pleasantly surprised we were at at how much potential dave has in season six and in season seven it's just like gone all of it is just gone mm-hmm. but in any event uh it's gonna make that u571 money he so i was like so spoilers for future uh interview like i've already started doing the prep work for uh eric paladino's uh episode interview and um i didn't realize that he'd already done u571 before he started on the show like really yeah i assume that he, i assume that one followed the other like that he he did the did the show the used his cash from the show cachet from the show to then parlay that into a movie career and it was quite the opposite i'm pretty sure he got the job on er because of u571 like well, you know when you get shot out of a torpedo tube then... hey, hey hey we will cover it on a on a <laughs> on a movie review when we get there when when daniel will be celebrating uh but uh in any event we go from here to uh, a woman in chairs uh complaining of stomach pain pukes into a bin uh says she just flew in from texas and then uh, as Carter is trying to examine her, she just pukes a whole heap load of blood on the floor. Uh, this is pretty gross. Uh, yeah, we'll circle back to her a little bit later. All right. Well, Luke is examining the bishop. Uh, he says, bishop says he landed on his keister. So, <laughs> I love it. I, I love, love it. Wor- I love the word keister. I love it. So Mid- his Midwestern bishop. Yes. yes. Uh, he discloses uh, an osteoarthritis diagnosis and uses a bunch of Tylenol to help with that. Uh, but he says he has a very high threshold for pain. And they're talking back and forth. And, of course, the bishop tries to, is like, oh, yeah, where are you from? Oh, yeah, Croatia. It's like, Croatia is a very Catholic country. Are you Catholic? And then Kovac doesn't quite give him a death glare, but is like, really, man? Yeah. Really? He's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Walks out. And I then, realized I was making a face with no, with no voice. <laughs> so we're, we're in an audio medium here. We'll get there. Uh, Cleo then questions Benton on Kanisha's story and what's going on. And uh, Cleo's pissed that Kanisha's back at her house again by herself. Because last time she was there, she was there for three weeks. Not great. Mm, had her car stolen. Had her car stolen. Um, then we go over to Carter doing endoscopy on the woman who came in and puked. I want to note Carter wouldn't be doing this. This would be a, another doctor coming down and doing this in the ER, or they would be sent upstairs. He would not be doing this. this well, is, if it's emergent. This is Dr. Green syndrome. Carter would not be the one running this endoscopy, I don't think. Um, nurses, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and 
Halle says, oh, this reminds me of those big claw things they have in the arcade as he's fishing out the obstruction that's causing all of this issue. And it turns out she had a condom full of cocaine burst in her stomach. Not great, Bob. Yeah, that'd do it. I, I like the little uh, exchange about the claw thing where she's like, this reminds me of the big claw things. What do they call those? And he just looks at big her and he's like, things. big claw thing. Yeah. Like, it's a <laughs> <laughs> technical term. Yeah. Uh, but then we see uh, Kim coming down to check uh, with Carrie about Mr. Polarski injuring himself. And she's questioning why Carrie didn't ask her, uh, didn't call for a consult. And is then, uh, then we get this really like tense exchange between the two of them where they're like whisper talking to each other. Cause Carter's also sort of there. Like he's kind of in the background um, and uh, says they can't let what happened uh inter what happened to between them interfere with patient care and uh Carrie gets offended when Kim says that Carrie has been avoiding her and it's like Ugh. No, cut the tension cut the tension with a knife. Uh, Carter asked and where she really flew in from, which was uh from Belize and she said she was robbed. A man said she'd help her help is she a man said she'd a man said he'd help her if she do just this one job and can she wanted to go home and Carter's a real dick to her. Like, no, you're a drug smuggler. We know exactly what you're doing. Right? You know exactly what you're doing. Also, like, apparently this woman is 18. Yeah. Which it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. <laughs> like she's supposed to be 18, 18 going on 34. Yep. Yeah, exactly. 28. I could probably, I could believe. Oh, sure. But. Anywhere from late twenties to early thirties. I'm totally there. I'm with you, but not 18. Just, Carter, come on, man. Yeah, he's awfully self-righteous for somebody who just, like, you know, stuffed Vicodin down his throat two episodes ago. Like, it's, yeah. like, maybe just ease off. Just, just relapse. Just a bit. And then we pop over to Malucci talking to the bishop about how celibacy was the sticking point for him with being a priest. Of now, course. This is why he wouldn't go into the religious life. For sure. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. And then uh, Luca comes in and tells the bishop that he's got some degenerative issues, but there's no fracture. Um, the bishop coyly asks for an IV of solumedrol. He's like, oh, my doctor gave me this magical drug before, and uh, so clearly this is not his first rodeo. And Luca says, I'll give you solumedrol if you promise to use a walker. And the guy's like, oh, we're bargaining now. Okay. Uh, they compromise on a cane, because the walker would really cramp his style. Um, and the bishop asks Luca's confirmation name, which was Mihail, which is the patron saint of the sick. Which was uh, clocked in the goofs section of uh, IMDb as no, it's not. <laughs> like interesting. You know, they were like they were like loosely translated. It's like that's patron saint of cops. Basically, is uh, huh. is the name he gives, Ew. and that the other there was some other name that was uh, patron. Uh, patron saint of the sick i can't remember what the name was now but it was uh definitely not the name that luca gives saint there's gonna be like 80 million uh, names so go about your day while yeah I... we'll go about our next audio clip here uh it's carter carter's review time on occasion he's questioned the decision making of more senior physicians in critical care settings yeah i have a more detailed list of your interest in. probably not interpersonal skills how you deal with patients and staff all excellent in fact it's hard to find fault with your work Really? You've made a remarkable comeback from a serious addiction, and I think I speak for everyone when I say that we're proud of you. Thank you. Good. We're pretty jammed up out there, so unless there's anything else you want to talk about, just sign the bottom of the form. Is there something you want to talk about? 
Sorry. Multi-victim trauma. We're gonna need everybody. Now clearly it's all Abby's fault that right? she didn't get to, that he didn't get the chance to tell. Well, I would have told her, but you came in. God. How dare people be in a huge accident and need care? We should make that a running bit. Just attributing things that are clearly not Abby's fault to being Abby's fault because of how much shit she gets in the fandom community. Like, you know, it's yeah. Abby's fault that the ratings took a took a dive in the later seasons. <laughs> it's Abby's fault that streaming became a thing. It's Abby's fault that they created Grey's Anatomy. Like, just, it's it's all Abby's fault. It's Abby's fault that these move that the show has never been released on Blu-ray. Ooh, gosh, just I, there's dozens of us that want this. There's dozens of us. I tell you, maybe if STT becomes popular enough, that, PR will, that'll be will that'll be the and... that'll be the movement that we spearhead. You know, it's all these other podcasts that end up getting shows rebooted. We have no chance of that happening, but no. nor do we want it. But no. maybe we can be like, Blu-ray. maybe we can be mid-size enough to like to spearhead it, to a movement it. to get the show put out on Blu-ray. At least on normal Blu-ray, 4K would be amazing. But we're we're not even big enough to get sponsored for commercials. There's no way <laughs> fucking hell we're gonna be able Blue to Blue Chew won't happen. even look at us, and yet oh. we're gonna get a 331 episode series put out on Blu-ray for the first time. Come on, we have a Casper mattress. The brand synergy is so do I. So do I. like we're we are uh, we're batting a thousand on Casper mattresses <laughs> on this podcast. I use Harry's razors. Like, come on. Clearly, I don't. But, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless you, Daniel. So tell us about this multi-victim trauma. Uh, By the way, did a little research during that clip. It's St. Raphael that is the patron saint of the sick. Not uh, There's like 80 patron saints of the sick. But it was definitely not the one that Luca gave, which which is the patron saint of police officers, which is like, why did they have a pay? This is Rome. Yeah. Why do we have patron? Why, why were they thinking about there's the not, patrons? Not police officers in Rome. <sighs> this is a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, listeners, feel free well, to reach out and correct us. I'm sure there is these days, but there wasn't back in biblical Catholic, times. Catholics, y'all wild for that one. Uh, but in any event, uh, we got a multi-victim trauma coming in. There was a seven-year-old hit at a crosswalk by a pickup truck. Uh, little girl's name is Amy, asking for her mom. Uh, we see mom getting pulled out of the other ambulance. Julie, uh, who is really the most notable of the uh, family here. Uh, she's played by actor Wendy Gazelle, who appears in stuff like the movie The Net, uh, The X-Files, and Grey's Anatomy, where, curiously enough, her character was also named Julie. So apparently casting directors look at this person and just see Julie. Uh, cool. And then we also find out that dad was DOA at the scene. Ugh. Great times. Um so then we see up on in the surgical floor lizzie got some flowers from mark those flowers are fucking gorgeous i want like that giant bouquet in my house um she gets called downstairs and oh no mr patterson is in the elevator when she gets in and he's here to see her and she tells him she feels terrible for what happened and they it's very awkward as you'd imagine and he says imagine i'll always remember your face i wonder if you'll remember mine and then she apologetically gets pulled off into this trauma and that's the end i do love his delivery of that though. absolutely i like to imagine that he like actually pulls a microphone out of his pocket and drops it on the elevator floor and then like <laughs> give gives her the double birds as he rolls backwards away from her like <laughs> just just in the background just like a Martin Freeman <laughs> and all the Hobbit fa- uh, documentaries. <laughs> just giving everyone the finger all the time. Yes, exactly. 
but yeah, Lizzie gets pulled into uh, the trauma to assist. Uh, we hear that Benton isn't around. That becomes important in a bit. Uh, they work on Amy first, and uh, Luca is throwing a little bit of shade to Lizzie about why don't you just examine her first. She's got some bleeding in the chest, and this is, uh, oh boy, this is a whole thing. Then uh, Corday gets pulled over to help the mom and Lauren. Whose films are those? It's been a while since we've had one of those. Yep. Uh, she asks where the husband is and freaks out when they don't answer, and Carrie bald-faced lies, says we don't know everything yet. Really, Carrie? Yeah. I understand. I understand not wanting to tell the patient in this moment while they're already in critical condition. Yeah, it might upset but. her. Might cause her, you know, vital signs to take a dip. You know, who knows? Like, I, I get her logic of wanting to, but maybe, and she does the best job she can of like towing that line between a bald face lie and like plausible deniability of like, ah, we didn't really know yet. They hadn't told us, yeah. you know. But mom has a bad liver laceration. They take her straight to the OR. And before they can go up to the OR, though, Luca pulls the mom into trauma one so they can, so she and Amy can see each other first before she goes up to surgery because they're in such bad condition that, you know, they want to make sure they can at least have one last look at each other. Um, they get Amy intubated and she's bleeding out real bad as her vitals start to drop. Corday goes to scrub in for the mom and Mr. Carrie Weaver gives her sass that he doesn't know what they're... Per- prepping the mom for yet and lizzie asks surely if ann spa can assist because she is the only free attending currently oh no not great um luca and abby are trying to get amy stable with cleo at the same time everything's a mess nobody's doing great here i just like i do think it's sort of uh i mean obviously later on it works out you know that he was right like he was right to do it but i also thought it was a strange kind of flex by luca to like run out into the hall and be like don't take this very sick patient needing surgery patient up to the or now roll them back in here for this sentimental moment and it was like roll that beautiful bean yeah like it was just like i mean yeah he ends up being right later on because of what happens but it was just like I remember thinking it as I as I was watching it. I was just like, "Well, this seems like wildly out of character. Like this just seems, even by Luca standards, this seems like a bit much." But uh, anyway, but uh, the tension continues between future lovers Kim and Carrie, because <laughs> uh, Carrie asked Kim why she was down to talk to the drug smuggler, and Carter called her down because the woman was theoretically a danger to herself. I guess. Yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah, she was coerced into drug smuggling yeah. and then had the thing burst in her stomach. She's maybe not feeling the best. <laughs> I, just, I just desperately want Carter to wander up in the middle of their uh, tense argument here. I just want him to wander up and be like, is this about that drug smuggler? <laughs> <laughs> no, it has to take place in the yell. They, they, the That's right. Yeah, they, that's true. Yeah, it, it, He does his best yelling on the L stairs. Yes. Uh, but... Kim finally just asked, what's your problem, Carrie? Like, and Carrie does not react well to that. She's like, you will never say that to me in front of one of my employees ever again. It's very good whispery, tense. Just kiss already, (laughs) come on. Again. Well, that's true, yeah, I guess. We've already crossed that bridge. But just just let it happen. Right, just, just, you know, have have a little bit of gayness as a treat. Like, just see how it feels. 
Uh, but we go from there. Uh, Amy is still down. They uh, finally call it and call time of death. And uh, another trauma comes in, and Luca has to immediately switch rooms. Uh, and it's uh, this patient's name is Kevin Poole, 42 years old, very drunk, and drove into a concrete pole. And it is quickly surmised that this is the guy who hit the whole family uh, that he just called time of death for the little girl for. Mm. Uh. That's, I'm sure this won't result in any white knight. Oh, no, 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 no. Or, no. you know, or ethical mistreatment of a patient. Right. Yep. This is like, this is like the, the, the gif that I sent in the group chat yesterday of Chris Hansen poking his head into the corner. This is where you would poke a little Doug Ross head into the corner of just like, <laughs> yeah. how can we torture this guy? <laughs> because you can, you could practically see the sequence of events playing out in Luca's head before he does what he's going to do, which is does not numb the guy before putting the stomach pump tube in, even though Abby ah. offers. And yeah, you very excellent acting by the guy here playing Kevin, uh, portraying the complete and total discomfort that this guy is in, even in his kind of altered state. Uh, and Kevin here is played by actor John Lacey, who appears in stuff like Just Mercy, American Crime Story, Impeachment, uh, and Sons of Anarchy. And it's finally here, folks. It's the end of the National Nightmare, Kenesha's final scene. Uh, Benton is sitting at docks when Kenesha comes in, and Adele joins them shortly afterwards. And they have a good foster option for Kenesha, but she just runs out. And Adele's, Adele tans, tells Benton to let her handle it from here. And Daniel? Bye, Kenesha! <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. This is your resolution. Yeah, pretty you much. Wandered like, off into the into the into the afternoon daylight. Right. It. We reached a settlement, much like the uh, the Lizzie storyline earlier in the episode. Like there was a there was a recall, and we settled, and everything's fine now. Okay. Technically, there's one more. Yes, technically, technically, but but this but... is the last time we see her physically, and mm-hmm. you know it. So like we talked about earlier in the episode, like I I feel very strongly that that this is. Uh, a retelling of the, the Charlie story with a little twist and like I've said on previous episodes I think they sort of reverse engineered this storyline where they wanted to tell a storyline involving somebody uh, uh, immersed in and trying to escape from gang culture and they sort of clumsily sort of handed it to Benton yeah, via connected it to Jesse yeah but- they, they clumsily handed it to Benton by, via his dead nephew and I think but that they- was a mistake they don't actually go into her life with that. We cur- no, exactly. We get a cursory mention like, "Oh, I'm I'm trying to get out for Jesse after this," and then it's never talked about. Her actual stuff is never explored. It's yeah. only shown through how much of a quote nuisance she is for right. Cleo and Benton. Yeah, we never actually get a chance to be truly sympathetic or stay with exactly. her in any meaningful way. Like if yeah. they had shown her in therapy, like we did with Charlie. If they had shown her any sort of thing where it was like okay we're actually trying to help this girl instead of going god how annoying is she right she's never portrayed as anything other than a nuisance and that's we get a a little bit of like the oh yeah like they the people think i'm a snitch in the neighborhood so i can't go home yeah they 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 drop they drop all these very interesting much more interesting i would argue little ideas of nuggets of ideas of threads that could go elsewhere and in, mom. Right, and instead we always go back to she broke something or she stole a car or, like, she just – it's just like – She's she, immature or whatever. Yeah, like, it, they just always harp on the most the, – the least interesting and the most off-putting aspects of her personality and her character. Mm-hmm. 
And it's really an un- a very un- uh, uncharacteristically unfair portrayal, I think, by the writers of a real mm-hmm. type of person, like, that exists and is very real. And, like, somebody who's been let down by their parents, by their by the system, by everything, and is still a child. Like, there's just there was yeah. so much to really sink your teeth into with this character, and they just explore none of it. Yeah. And I'm not I'm, sure why. I'm just going to say, I hope in in the alternate universe, she circles back with Adele and is able to get the support she needs. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. And and so my, my um, proposal of how you at least attempt to fix this story is that I think one of the things that, that really um, dooms this storyline from the beginning is I think putting her with Benton directly doesn't really do this character in this storyline any service like i just i feel like it's a bad match as the 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 one and one a of this storyline i think you could have i think you could have told this story without the jesse connection i don't think she needs to be jesse's girlfriend we never saw her and jesse together so there's no emotional connection there other than being told that she was jesse's girlfriend there's really no connection to benton so like i don't think that part of it is necessary i would argue other in fact i would argue that the best possible application of this story would have been with Cleo. Like mm-hmm. give, make this a Cleo storyline instead of a Benton storyline that Cleo happens to be victimized by time and time again. Like let this be a strictly a, Cle- and maybe they, because it was sort of a retelling of the Charlie storyline and Cleo sort of fills the role that Doug left behind in part, maybe they didn't want to be that on the nose with it. Maybe they didn't want to have the pediatrician have another, you know, ward of the state kind of situation but i think it would make more sense though with cleo because it's successful black woman and troubled troubled teen black girl. right and she's a pediatrician she's dealing with a child like i just feel like it's you a much better be a trauma or something like that and, and and on top of that you could have folded it into the story of her telling benton that he's not aware enough of his own blackness like, yeah. you know, you could have fo- easily folded it into that where she goes like, look, man, these are some of the realities of the situation. Like, I know you maybe aren't aware of it because you're, you know, like have Benton play the Cleo role in this storyline where Benton is annoyed by her presence at all times. And Benton is like, why don't you just get rid of this girl? Like, I don't understand why you're still going down this road. And she can be like, no, dude, you have to open your eyes to these problems. These are here and these are real. And we have to, like, do something about it like it's right there in front of you writers like you could have done a much better job with this storyline and instead they just went with this goofy tenuous connection to the jesse thing that like outside of that episode which is again a a 10 out of 10 great episode i'm sorry jesse doesn't fucking matter like out of that episode Mm -hmm. that's that's an excellent moment but jesse as a character is wholly inconsequential so why do we need to like attach this fucking anchor to this girl that she's Benton's dead nephew's girlfriend and is the reason he got killed. It just completely sinks this whole storyline and it's such a shame because there like is get a t- an excellent a, story in here. We get a timeout for Reese for this. Right? Right. Because again, like seen Reese at all. If if Benton is playing second fiddle to Cleo in this storyline, it opens up much more possibilities of him going like, I have a disabled son here. I have more important things to be worrying about than this girl and her problems. And she can be like, No, she's just as valid, like she has issues. Like there's, again, there's I'm so begging there, but I'm it's begging you. 
I am begging you to do something with Cleo that doesn't involve her just being Benton's girlfriend. I'm begging yeah. you. And it just this this is maybe one of the the most egregious examples of where you could have given her something to really sink her teeth into and instead it's just like a C arguably D tier Benton storyline. Like it is I would say D. Really at the bottom of the barrel for Benton. Well, with that said, what happens next, Lauren? Uh, we go back to Julie, the mom, and she is oozing all over the place. Her liver is not great. Uh, Lizzie is having a very hard time getting her stable. Babcock essentially says, this is your problem, not mine. Like, she's just not not having a good time with this. Um, she is a mess. Finally tells them to get Romano or another attending to help because she she cannot get this under control and she is panicking. Uh, the cops come in and tell Kevin Poole that he's under arrest for manslaughter, and he already had a suspended license and a DUI and got behind the wheel anyway, so he's a fucking moron. Uh, Benton comes down to examine him, and they need to do a CT to be sure of what his true status is, because with how drunk he is, he may not be aware of the pain he actually has. He may not know how much of a mess he is. Um... Abby asked Carter how the evaluation went. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... He shrugs off that he didn't tell Carrie about the drugs because they got interrupted and kind of storms away and Abby's clearly not thrilled either. And Luca asks what was going on with them and why they were fighting. And Abby, at least to her credit, says, it's Carter's business. I can't go into it. So lots, lots there. And this is the beginning of like Luca and Carter kind of noticing each other in Mm. regards to their relationships with Abby. Yeah, I I want to say it's towards the end of the season maybe like mm-hmm. s- episode somebody was talking the, the only reason I'm I'm knowing the specifics is because somebody was talking about it in one of the Facebook groups the other day I it's think like, they said episode like 14 yeah somewhere somewhere in the the later third of the or season 18. where they're just like clearly unhappy with each other at that point uh, but Romano comes in to help Corday and is not thrilled about it at all he sasses her for not trying to do a very basic the Pringle maneuver which always makes him want chips um <laughs> She bails on the procedure, though, and in very dramatic fashion and goes to send in a surgical resident. So, Corday's not having a great day. Hmm. I'm, I just am continually thinking back to what uh, Paul McCrane said about his character being a jalapeno. <laughs> like, and he's he's there to provide a burst of heat. And uh, I, it's such a perfect analogy because, like, that's exactly what he does here. Like, he comes in... It, all full of piss and vinegar we get a couple of really good like lizzie get your ass back in like we get a couple of good asses in this scene like it's just uh it's good uh we go down we see mark making an appearance in the er uh and he find out that he is at the hospital for his radiation therapy every day for six weeks yikes that sucks man uh, we find out through his conversation with Luca here that Chen is still out on leave, uh, and him and Luca have a little, little light heart to heart here in the in the lounge. Uh, it just you know a lot is left unsaid here, a lot is left unspoken between the two of them, but it is a nice, uh, nice little moment uh, for for a pair of people who have a lot of shit going on in their lives at the moment. Um, so it's an excellent little moment. Uh, but uh, Luca goes off to check on the bishop uh, and turns out that he has gotten out of bed and has gone to trauma one to give someone their last rites, which I was like, this, 
feels unkosher in a variety of ways. Like it just like you're here as a patient, my dude, I guess. And you're trying to fulfill your official capacity. I mean, I guess, you know, a priest is a priest, but it's just like, uh, this is, this seems weird. Um, Kevin, uh, the patient he's giving last rites to is not doing great or moving air. And eventually they kick the Bishop out so that they can continue to work on him. It's a mess. It's a mess. So uh, next up, Carter asks Abby if she wants to go to the Blues Club with her, with with him later, because we not, all know what happens at the Jazz. Club. I was going to say, d- distinctly different from the Jazz Club. Yes, uh, she she says she can't be his sponsor anymore, and says I care about you and your recovery, but I can't keep saying the same things over and over again when it's hard enough to do them myself. Mm. Damn. Mm. Correct. Harsh, but correct. Mm-hmm. Not great. But remember, it's all Abby's fault. Oh, it's always Abby's fault. <laughs> that's that's going to be a sticker eventually. It's always yeah, it's, Abby's I, fault. I was so proud of her when she did this. It's like, good for you for setting healthy boundaries if he's not going to fucking listen. Right. Um, and then Cleo comes up to see Julie, the mom, to break the bad news about her daughter. And, of course, the mom is devastated. And I thought it was very interesting that they had Cleo be the one to break this news. Yeah, you would have thought, well, I don't know. I guess it was I don't know who it would have been, but Luca, it was just, it was, maybe, but I guess Luca's maybe. busy with the bishop, so yeah. yeah. Maybe Carrie, but Carrie's busy having her gay awakening. Sure, so. sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, Can't yeah, be pulled yeah. away from that. And we need to keep Cleo busy until the end of the episode. Right, because Lord knows she ain't sure. doing shit with the Kanisha stuff. Sorry, uh, sorry. Anyway, let's go back. Uh, let's go to our next audio clip that's uh, Luca discharging the aforementioned bishop. I'm going to have you take prednisone for the next four days. Bishop, our car's here. Thank you. I'll be right there. What happened to Kevin Poole? The drunk? He died on the table. At least he found absolution. You don't believe that? He ran down a family in the street. The mother's upstairs in surgery. I see. And does that make him any the less worthy of salvation? He was more afraid than sorry. Yes, but he found God in his final moments, and he asked for forgiveness. So uh, any fool can get into heaven if he's scared enough to say he's sorry right before he dies. Dr. Kovac, everyone deserves to be comforted in their darkest hour. Too bad you weren't there to comfort the little girl he killed. I didn't need to be. God was there. Was he? You should arrange to see your doctor this week and use the cane for stability. I love these two together. It begins. The Jesus fight begins. (laughs) I just pictured them having a slap fight when you said that. Thank you. Oh. And then take the sign of this cross. <laughs> are, are, are we set? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, there, there's much better stuff to come. I mean, this is a very much kind of, uh, especially when it comes to the Bishop storyline, this is very much the setup episode. Yeah. So like the, the really good a, stuff is coming. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to get a little bit of it just cause yeah. I love James Cromwell's voice. Oh, sure, and, dear, but... and dear God, I always forget how tall James Cromwell is. He's a big boy. He is a big he, boy. He is tall. 
Six foot seven. Yep, Ooh. big boy. And, and Luca's not, seven. you know, not a short king either. Like, Luca's big boy too. Yeah. So, like, you know, you got to be pretty damn tall to make Luca look uh, look short. Look normal height. Yeah. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> now, I need to go watch First Contact after we watch wrestling today. Um, what? <laughs> uh, okay. I love that movie. It's I don't good know movie. if I've ever seen it. It's, yeah. it's pretty but Anyway, let's go to our next audio clip here anyway. Uh, Carrie's headed out for the night, but Carter has a little something more to say. Okay. Today I am out of here. Good night, Dr. Weaver. Good night. Hey, can I give you a hand with this? Uh, thank you. You going home? Yeah, shortly. Hey, do you, uh, you have a minute to talk? Of course. In there? Okay. Look, if you're concerned about what happened earlier, you don't need to be. I respect your judgment enough to say... A couple weeks ago, I took some Vicodin out of a patient's prescription bottle and I swallowed them. And then I went into the bathroom and I stuck my finger down my throat. Did you successfully expel them? Yes. I don't know... I don't know why I did it. I really don't. I just found myself doing it. I just thought you should know. I appreciate you telling me. I'll see you tomorrow, Carter. What are you gonna do? Give it some thought. Meanwhile, keep going to your meetings. That's just such disappointed mom voice. Yeah, I know, which is not really what I expected from her in that but situation. She's she's also exhausted dealing with her own shit. True. So like she may just not have the room for the emotional warmth and support that we would typically expect from her in this moment. Which is weird to say emotional warmth and support talking about Carrie Weaver based off what we read about her online. <laughs> but um, like with her and Carter at least, she's had a lot of a lot of space for him for this. But mm-hmm. just right now, with everything going on with her, if I was her, I would have no room to deal with this shit right now. I would go, yep, okay, administratively, let me think about this, but I need to go the fuck home. Yeah. Go take care of yourself. Go to your meetings. It's a lot to drop on someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially in passing like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's important, though. It is. It's very important that he told her, and good job, Carter, that you finally fucking did. But bad job that it took this long that right. took you weeks and it took getting dumped as a sponsor by abby before you were like uh, okay yeah. fine i'll do the thing i was supposed to do weeks ago yeah and then uh from there mark meets lizzie outside for his ride home and asks her how her meeting went and he jokes and says oh we could go get a bite to eat to celebrate or we could go home take a nap and, <laughs> and lauren feels vindicated speed, lauren. that's my speed yeah or you order food into home eat and then fall asleep like Right by where you ate. That's just a fall it's a asleep on the couch. It's, I've never actually done that. Okay, that's Thank fine. you very much. I you usually make a camp on the floor and then yeah, and then pass out. But I do not. I do not eat in our bedroom. Sure. I'm not that much Thank of a heathen. Um, but yeah. So Mark's having a day. Lizzie's having a day. I'm glad they have each other. Pretty much everybody's having a day this episode. It's very true. Like, this is just the crew has a day. Yeah. Uh, and then we see Benton and Cleo talking about the trauma with Amy. Uh, and they are heading into uh, Cleo's house, 
and when they get inside, they uh, turn the lights on, and something is clearly wrong. And you don't get to see right away. You just get to see the facial expression on mm. uh, Michael Michelle's face, which is excellent. Like, excellent face Perfect. acting. Perfect. And uh, presumably, Kanisha has vandalized their whole damn house. Cause Probably with Tiny's help. Yeah. Everything is... Every piece of glass is broken. There's spray paint on the walls. There's... It's it's bad. It's, it's bad. Yeah. And stuff has presumably been stolen. Probably, yeah. And and Benton doing the most like I fucked up, I fucked up, I will take care of it kind of reaction. This is my reaction whenever anything goes wrong is I'll fix it, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, I'll mm-hmm. fix it, I'll fix it. Like, yeah, yeah. So when I, he, I was gonna when say he, Benton's sort of people but I realized that that's not really an aspect of Benton's personality. <laughs> Benton's not really a people more, pleaser. He is more in this moment, like you said, it's that inherent guilt of I brought this upon us. Right. I need to then do absolution. So we're coming at it from two very different angles. But when he just kept saying, I'll take care of it, I was like, oh, I've heard this. Yeah. And again, going back to my um, going back to my point from earlier that this should be a Cleo storyline, not a Benton storyline. Uh, if you if you delete the Jesse connection from this storyline, then Benton becomes like wholly unnecessary to this scene and we could have had a much more powerful scene of Cleo realizing that she tried her very best to help this girl and still managed to fail her and it still managed to blow up in her face and we could have had a much more profound moment later you know in the closing scene where she's feeling really sorry for herself and Benton finally does the thing that he's she's been asking him to do since they got together which is be there for her and it just, it would have enhanced both moments. It would have made this moment better for Cleo, and it would have made the, the closing moment better for Benton. <clears throat> also, this episode didn't punch me in the dick this week. Hey! Yay! Hey. So let's talk about the lesbians, shall we? <laughs> uh, let's go to our next audio clip. Let's go to our last audio clip, that is. Uh, Carrie shows up at Doc's and finds Kim sitting there. Hey. Oh, hi. I was just about to leave. No, 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 no. Actually, I called your office, and they said you might be here. I was hoping that we could talk. I don't know. Carrie, we've already talked a lot today. Look, I know that it's been tense between us, and I really don't mean it to be. I'm sure it'll pass. Kim, I want you to know that I respect you as a colleague. Today notwithstanding. I miss you. Well, that'll pass, too. In a few weeks, we'll just be friendly co-workers all over again. Yeah, I've been thinking. And I'm not sure that's what I want. You have a good night, okay? Kim, please. I'd like you to stay. Carrie's so hard. She's trying so hard. <laughs> also, I love the background music. I don't know if you noticed, but as they're having this discussion and trying to try, it's how sweet it is to be loved by you. Aw. Aw. Right, Lauren? No. no. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you. You're great. Engagement's off. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, breaking news. No, I'm kidding. Um, no. <laughs> but yeah, just, just poor kick. Poor Carrie in this situation. She's just drowning and trying her best to figure this out. As someone who has also had uh, had a lot of internal strife when it comes to sexuality, I can relate hard to... It takes a lot to process those feelings. Hard relate. A lot of space. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then from there we go. Th- I'm sorry. Are we done with the queers? <laughs> for now. Are we done? Are we done with the gays for, for now? now. Um, we're never done with the gays, but are we done with the gays? Um, so we are the gays. We are. We am the gays. But then from there we go back to Cleo and Benton cleaning up. And Benton mans up a little bit. He he owns up to some shit and he says, I've never worked at being with someone I've never even wanted to, but I want to with you. I love you. So like, this has at least made him go, shit, I have not been here for this woman. She has only existed as an accessory to my life. I need to actually make space for her. Mm. Little too, too little too late, but it shouldn't take her house being vandalized for you to fucking realize this. Yeah, exactly. But at least he realized it. At I least guess. he realized it. I don't know. This is like a seven for me. Yeah. This episode. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of setup. Right. It's a lot of just, it's a lot of, hey, we're going places. Sure. But, not, and some resolution to stuff that really ultimately didn't matter that much. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we're going to, like, we're starting to get now more of Corday's skittishness and that leads to a whole set of events going throughout the rest of the season but um it's kind of interrupted by her whole thing i forget do we know she, we know she's pregnant at this point no yes no. yes 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 i'm sorry i don't yeah, know because it I happened the same day that right, mark right, got right, his right, diagnosis right. So. yes okay um but yeah that's kind of interrupted by all that and then whole series of things but anyway the bishop thing is the biggest takeaway mm-hmm. from this episode, I think. For like, sure. Out of, out of everything that you can pull from like the overall storyline of season seven, the bishop thing is really the thing to pull from here. Yeah. Yeah. And the conflict that that starts to bring into Luca mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. several ways. It's it's the ending of a couple of like you said less compelling threads. Like well, no one one less compelling thread. One you know like the Lizzie and uh, the the Lizzie malpra- malpractice thing. I would argue there was a little bit more uh, to to do with that, maybe. Yeah, underutilized. Un- underutilized, but actually, and actually, the more the more I think about it as I'm saying it, like I actually don't know that there was that more to do with that storyline. I just again wish that they would have made a signature episode centered strictly around Lizzie and the process involved with that, and then and then I think it would have been like perfect, done, good to go. Because because again, she's gonna have a lot more heavy lifting to do with other things later in the season. We, we couldn't really prolong her involvement with that storyline much longer. Um, whereas the Kanisha thing is a complete missed opportunity. And they're like, they're pulling the plug on it now, rightfully so, because as, as it's currently constructed, it doesn't work. But that is the biggest missed opportunity for me is that, that, that storyline has so much potential and they wasted it on this. That's, that's the thing, the biggest draw back to this episode i think is that it's just so much unrealized potential sitting right there in front of you but the bishop stuff absolutely it's it is partially elevated by what we know is to come Mm -hmm. but i still that's fair i I still think the seven rating is perfectly fair yeah it's i'd say it's definitely the weakest episode of season seven so far oh yeah not bad no no, that's that's bad that's testament to the quality of where we're at in the timeline is that even the not so great episodes are still pretty darn good Lauren, what'd you think? You guys took it all. You're good. It's yeah, fine. It's seven. Great. Cool. <laughs> all right. What, what, what the listeners have to say? Lauren about wants lunch. I want lunch and a nap. Nap. <laughs> um, 
at Leah 1989 on Twitter says Luca's response of I know when Mark says life's too short really hints at the upcoming dive into his backstory as well as the way he doesn't say good when Mark asks how he is which everyone is just programmed to say even when we aren't good instead he says the same and you just knew we were soon headed into some sort of deep territory with Luca I had a lot of thoughts on this episode, but I felt like I was getting whiplash from storyline to storyline and couldn't settle into a groove with it. All I kept thinking was, Peter, do not bring Kanisha into Cleo's home. This is a bad idea. Then, wow, James Cromwell must be really tall because he's taller than Luca. And I laughed at Malucci mispronouncing Kovac and how they just rolled with it. I was slightly scared of Luca's ability to shoot daggers when he produces a scowl, truly the definition of if looks could kill. I melted at Peter telling Cleo he loved her as they stood amongst the chaos in her home, though. All I kept thinking was that literally is love amongst the ruins. Seeing them both get emotional as they spoke finally settled me into the episode, only for the episode to be over immediately after that moment. That's the kind of content I wanted more of. Grace B says, Taking the longer view of this arc, I can't believe that I didn't notice the heartbreaking parallels between Amy and Jasna. Is it just me, or is the bishop's hounding of Luca just not fair? I get what the bishop is trying to do, but from a 2022 lens, it reads as deeply lacking in trauma-informed department. Then again, I am absolutely biased when it comes to Luca, and we're in the middle of one of my favorite string of episodes for him. Speaking of trauma-informed, this... Speak... Let me try that again. Speaking of trauma-informed... This time around, watching Kanisha come on to Benton absolutely gutted me. She's a child and this is a survival tactic that it would seem she's had to employ before to get God knows what basic resources. It just fucking sucks. And I can't draw to save my life, but I want to create a poster or t-shirt or whatever that just declares something to the effect of Cleo Finch deserved better because as I've said before, because while I maintain that she is not so much a character as a plot device, she's there for Benton 110% of the time, and he's not doing much to show it's the other way around. Actions speak louder than words, and I just walked away from this episode badly wanting to give Cleo a hug and provide Benton with a series of Reese age-appropriate Legos to step on in bare feet. And last but certainly not least, at the full-time dad, says, as far as setup episodes go, this is a solid one. We get our first glimpse of James Cromwell as the bishop. We get some brewing conflict between Carrie and Legaspi. Uh, Carter finally coming clean and the beginning of Corday's existential crisis. And we mercifully say goodbye to the Canisius arc, but not before some pretty ugly moments from her character. I'm too tired anyway, almost made me puke in my mouth. There were three moments of dialogue that really stood out to me. Mark and Luca's brief heart to heart, Carrie and Legaspi's whispered quarrel, and that really underrated conversation between Corday and Alan Patterson, which rocks the normally steely Elizabeth off-kilter for the next two episodes. You'll never see rock, paper, scissors on any best ER episodes, but it serves the purpose of advancing key storylines and closing at least one forgettable one. All right, but that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week, and for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. Two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 55 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. A free for a monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and whose picks are those? 
where Lauren reads us some ER fanfiction. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Work. Can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at besides taking a nap? Uh, I got nothing good this week. Um, I'm going to be freaking out about House of the Dragon and the Lord of the Rings show, Rings of Power, at Lobob92345 on my personal Twitter. And you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at randomgamer, that's JM3R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week.